Good morning. This is Alicia Bales, and this morning it is Pomo Perspective. Michael Hunter, who usually does the show, is away today, but he has invited another amazing guest to talk with you today, and his name is Dino Beltran. Dino is the vice chairman of the Koi Nation of Northern California. And the Koi are Pomo from Lake County and have lived continuously in the southern Clear Lake Basin for at least 14,000 years. Dino is also an Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker with a focus on protecting sacred sites in the Clear Lake Basin and across the state. Welcome, Dino. Thanks for being here today on Pomo Perspective. Thank you, Alicia. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael, for the invite. It's just wonderful to have you, and um, I would love it if you could start by introducing the Koi Nation. Okay. Um the Hokoi Nation is uh, a south- southeastern band of Pomo from the southeastern part of Clear Lake. Um, our archaeological friends say that we've probably been in the area up to about 21,000 years. And with that, um, laws protecting the sacred sites over the years have improved, but only really recently in the past five years have they really become more comprehensive. Um, the Koi Nation uh, is a fairly recognized tribe that we earned our federal recognition in the end of the year 2000. Um, it's kind of funny when you look at the federal register, it says we're still newly recognized, which is kind of unusual. But anyway, so uh, <clears throat> the Koi Nation is a small tribe. Uh, we have about 85 members, um, only about 35 of which are actually adults. The rest are children. So... Um, in the, in the recent years, we've been really focusing our energies on sacred site protection, and we found that some municipalities don't respect CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act, and they don't uh, respect Native Americans and their ancestors. And, and uh, that is a direct acknowledgement of fact. So you have recently produced a documentary called Saving the Sacred, um, and I want to talk all about the sacred sites and CEQA and what's threatening the sacred sites. But I think that the documentary is a really good way to sort of open that conversation because you've, uh, you've not just produced the documentary, but you've done sort of amazing things with it. So can you talk about saving the sacred and, and, and why you produced it and what it's about? Sure. Well, um, Saving the Sacred is actually a, a continuation on efforts to uh, protect sacred sites. The, uh, the storyline comes from um, actual efforts between uh, three tribes in Lake County um, that we call ourselves Ancestors One. And the three tribes are my, my close partners, the Upper Lake Tribe, the Habematol Pomo of Upper Lake, and the Robinson Rancheria. And um, we we had just, we were establishing a memorandum of agreement with the county of Lake <clears throat> that would um, protect the sacred sites during the development process. So again, we didn't know what we what was going to happen with this particular situation. I had found out about halfway through the negotiation process with county council that the previous year, and I think that was 2015 that the supervisors of Lake County had voted three to two to allow themselves, allow the, a referendum to let 
the uh, citizens of Lake County removed themselves from the county of Lake and joined the state of Jefferson. And uh, when I had heard that, I was, uh, everybody knows I don't quit. I don't quit what I do. Uh, if I'm involved in a situation, everybody else will quit first, and I'll I'll usually be the last man standing whimpering around. But at the end of this end of this particular story, I, I actually had about just about ten seconds, just about ten seconds of thinking, you know, th- this isn't going to work out. <clears throat> so that ten seconds passed, and onward we went. Um, I have to really thank my partner. Um, my partner in this effort was uh, Sherry Trepa, who's the chairperson of Rapper Lake. Sherry's, uh, they were also our partner in the production of this film. They, uh, they were our, our full-on partner, that tribe. But um, <clears throat> Sherry's an amazing lady, uh, just so intelligent and kind and loving and, and just caring for her people. And I think if you've seen the film, uh, the first part of it, her interview, she speaks about, you know, her family and her and her tribe, and you know, she gets emotional. But I, I we had actually done some other work on some other things for um, landless tribes and tribes that, um, anyways, we'd work on some stuff like that. We were working with the governor's office, Governor Brown at the time, and um, and she had expressed similar emotion. And I and I didn't know her then. I only met her like twice before, and we'd actually went to the Capitol together. And, um, and and she expressed that same type of sentiment. And I'm like, wow, this, that, this lady, is she's in it for the right reasons. It's uh, like she is um, talking about her family. You know, it, it's, it's, she's, it, she's totally connected to the ancestors and the sacred sites and the tribal identity as, you know, incredibly close and personal. Yes. Um, yeah, and, you know... You know, I don't know all their true inner workings, but I do know when it comes time for <clears throat> support for her tribe in any capacity, she's there right away. And um, and since in the in the in the in the in the ensuing years after the film was made, and actually during I think the tail end of the production process, um, that tribe has a Tipo Department, a Tribal Historic Preservation Officer. Um, they have hired a new person over there. Uh, his name is Robert Geary. And, and Bob is um, Bob is important to our community not only because of his adeptness for this type of work, but he is also uh, considered a spiritual leader in, in our community. So uh, I am personally grateful for him um, to be in this capacity for both his knowledge and, and uh, an overwhelming knowledge in both areas. So let's back up a second because you. You said that as you had started the the process of going to the Lake County Board of Supervisors uh, to talk with them about protecting sacred sites, try to work to develop some policy, right, some county ordinance or MOA or memorandum of understanding or something like that that would protect <laughs> sacred sites from uh, in, through the process of development. But when you got there, they had voted; <laughs> a majority of them had voted. To allow Lake County residents to join Jefferson, yeah, is yeah, it like the state of project. Jefferson or something? Can you talk about what that what that even is for people who don't know what that what that meant to you? Well, you know, just the thought of it's kind of scary. So I, I don't even really I'm not really not too familiar. But the state of Jefferson, this is what I believe. I don't know all the facts around it. 
So what I understand, if you go to the Central Valley, you'll see large signs, big yellow signs, and it says the state of Jefferson, and it has a, uh, a profile of Thomas Jefferson. And it's some kind of movement amongst conservative folks that want to remove themselves from the state of California and start their own state. They want to have their own state. And um, so I'm, I'm not going to knock anybody's political views, but uh, that that is just like, you know, that, 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 that's going to take one heck of an effort. You know, it's just not going to happen overnight. Wasn't encouraging to you when you were thinking about working with these people to protect sacred sites? Well, that, like I like I said, there's like 10 seconds of me talking <laughs> this process. But I, I mean, I, I just don't quit things. So that was very short lived. Yeah. So what were you asking the Board of Supervisors in Lake County to do? I was ask, asking them and their community development partner uh, department to observe the laws of CEQA and at the time another law an addendum to CEQA was actually working its way through the assembly and the state senate and that was AB 52 and AB 52 was basically a, a communications of all development going on in all areas in the state of California to reach out to federally recognized and unrecognized tribes that may have been affected by this particular development um so that that's basically what it was and since, since we've been able to establish this moa the uh the the communication in lake county itself has been really overwhelming they have really done a great job <laughs> i get so many emails now um but watch what you wish for and that's okay you know um, that's funny success yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yes it's, it's a lot of work well okay so you eventually they voted five to zero to support a memorandum of agreement with with the tribe yeah they did. what did that moa do well it basically it, it, it you know it's it's really a non-binding agreement but it still shows that you know there they have acknowledged that sequa has a place has a process and it means something and then when ab2 came along right during this process you know that just added to it so um, you know, they've been doing really well and, and I haven't had any, any complaints about hand, how they're handling, um, dealing with Native American tribes in the process of, uh, in whatever processes are necessary to take care of, uh, the sacred, sacred sites. Because really, I mean, this may sound, some people find it a little weird when I say this, but we don't want to find anything. We don't want to find anything. And another thing that people look at me a little cockeyed about when I say this is, it's a very emotional thing to um, to encounter ancestors and then have to find, if you can't put them back where they were, then you have to find a place, and then that's a whole burial process. And it gets emotional. I don't do well with that. So <laughs> I, um, I prefer not to find anything. Another, another thing, another couple of things that get said as well, if these burial sites are so important to the Native Americans, why don't you know about them? You know, and uh, the, the, the answer is very simple. In 1850, there was about a million Native Americans in California. In 1890, there was 15,000. So in 40 years, almost a whole entire race of people was gone. Um, around that time, in, you know, 
1900, there's about five or six McCoy families that were still alive. And then um, you know, there were some, uh, a handful of families at the other locations around the lake, too. And that, that's pretty much with, with, every, with every population, every native population in the state of California. There were very few on our, our friends at Graydon. I think they, I think they say they were down like 13 people at one point. So, um, yeah, so it wasn't for a lack of respect. It was for a lack of knowledge being passed on. Um, we didn't, we didn't write things down. You know, everything was in our heart. And that's another thing a lot of folks don't understand this, uh, the civilization is really not that doing that well. Despite, I mean, we can have a lot of platitudes about being the greatest civilization, the greatest country in the history of the earth, but there's a lot of things that are happening that are just, uh, you know, anti-natural world. You know, we're natural world people. We have that kind of respect, and a lot of people don't understand that. They don't understand why you're digging big giant holes in the ground and cutting down trees, and it's all for profit, and uh, we didn't have value in money. We didn't have value in owning people for 400 years. We didn't have those kinds of values in the name of God. It's very, uh, it's very disheartening to some. And the, the, I think the other part that's disheartening, I, I find this on Facebook, you know, my Facebook friends. You know, I, I'm one of these guys who I continually post something about genocide or something like that. And, and it's not to poke somebody in the eye. That's not the reason why I do it. I'm doing it just because there's so many people out there that don't even realize that this actually happened. And it actually happened worse in the state of California than it has in the other parts of the country. So um, they think I'm just, you know, just being a whiner. Get over it, you know. That's the other thing. Get over it. Well, you got to keep in mind, you know, it was just a few generations ago where, you know, my my great grandfather uh, and and my great grandmother were running for their lives um, to not be massacred by massacred by um, what is that term that I I, 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 I totally redskin redskin derbies, you know, money put up to go kill people. Well, you know, you should, and then of course you have the people going, well, the Redskins, a good termination, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a term of pride. And I was going, well, I don't know how prideful you are, but, uh, if it represents an actual event that killed my ancestors, um, I'll pass. I think I'm getting off. Yeah. Um, because one of the things that I noticed, I watched your documentary, Saving the Sacred, and then you also have a previous documentary called um, A Walk in the Past. Is that right? Walk a Walk Through Time. Sorry, A Walk Through Time. Right. And it's one of the things that um, is, is really clear is that the ancestors... Uh, are really present with you that your relationship with the ancestors is a present relationship it's not a past historical 
you know, museum relationship. It's an active, um, you know, living, the the ancestor, you're actively taking care of them by uh, protecting these sites, doing what you can to protect these sites, and also um, learning about the sites, but also teaching others about them. And and, um, a walk through time talks about the area of the um, Anderson Marsh in the southern Clear Lake Basin uh, as an area where is the, the highest kind of concentration of sacred sites um, anywhere in the state that uh, the archaeologists who went in to, to start to, to dig and look for artifacts there were like blown away because they found, you know, so many sites in just one day that it was unlike anywhere else they'd, uh, they'd ever been. So this is um, when you're talking about, you know, the, the genocide and the reality of the genocide of what it meant to your great grandparents and how you're still like just two generations from it still grappling with it in a very real way um that all makes a, a lot of sense in terms of you know living with and working with 14,000 years at least of 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 time so can you talk a little bit about um the the koi homeland and uh, what it is that's so uh, necessary to be preserved there? Well, um, well I, I think I probably have to go back to a little bit prehistory first. The, uh, the area itself was actually, is actually still, if you're a Native American, very valuable in the sense of just basic everyday living. Um, it's, first of all, it's, it's the largest body of water in California, natural. Um, I think it's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, lake in the New World, maybe a half a million years or more. And um, because that in itself, you know, you have you have substance, you have fish, waterfowl, other animals coming to drink, um, all kinds of natural foods growing there because of the resource of the water itself. And then, um, you know, it evolved from being a conifer type of um landscape to being all these oaks because of the eruption of the volcano they think about 10,000 years ago um which my ancestors experienced they saw it so um because they were living there you know uh, uh the word kanaktai is a southeastern pomo word you know it's, it's so um so um I'm sorry I'm getting off track here. So you're at oh, the resource. So so starting back then, you know, it was an attraction just as a place to live, and then over time, um, you know, other tribes had, had evolved. Uh, a lot of languages. There's you know seven different Pomo dialects, and even though we live on the same lake, an entirely different language. Just another beautiful sounding language just right across the lake. It is almost entirely different. So, um, and then of course, you know, with that, there was all the trade and, but see, our, our folks just didn't stay. And clearly we had paths and Dr. John Parker, a good friend of mine who has taught me many things, not about myself and my people, but about, about humans in general, you know, he, he, so he says, if you go on a Google, Google map, you can see the Pomo trails from Lake County over to over to the coast. And and that's where we went to go um, and get our subsistence from over there, including clamshells for uh, some of our money. 
The other part that was really valuable for um, the Khoi people was a Poe site. So Magnezite was a very valuable piece of exchange and currency for the uh, Pomo people, and they called it Poe. So that's why we're, a lot of folks think that's why we're called Pomo. Oh, wow. Well, Indian gold, it was it was regarded as a very, very um, valuable piece of jewelry. And it wasn't, <clears throat> but, um, and it's believed that the Southeastern Pomo, the Khoi people especially, the mastered uh, the process to make the Po. Um, a very extensive process, you know, grinding down the rock and then putting dirt into it, making a paste, baking it, making these really pretty colors. And it, it already turns color to a, a rusty or a salmony color if you heat it up already. But um, I understand that they would go ahead and add the Lake County red dirt to make it even deeper. But um, but there are other deposits, or there are other a couple other um, post sites in the Tri County area and in your area too. And uh, um, those are regarded as um, the one up there that I know of is is regarded as a, mi- a mineralized deposit, and it's believed because of those heavy minerals that actually turns that red color a deep brick color, really pretty, um, without having to add any red dirt. So magnesite. It sounds like the koi uh, were historically a, a wealthy tribe, maybe one of the wealthiest tribes and uh, a, a tribe of traders uh, people who who did a lot of trade throughout the northern part of the state and the other thing that that the tribe that you had was obsidian which i've heard has been obsidian from southern clear lake basin has been found throughout the state and in the central valley certainly here in mendocino county um that's true you know our our, our tribe were, were big time traders because of these these, especially these two um, resources, uh, the magnesite was rare. That was more of a, a real monetary exchange. But that uh, <clears throat> there was a couple of types of obsidian actually in Lake County. There's the Kanaktai vein on the southeastern side of Kanaktai, and that one, you know, it, it's pretty. It's really a pretty rock. It's more like glass. More, it's brittle though. It's, it, and yeah, it, it won't withstand, you know, trying to make an arrowhead and it lasts a long time. It, it breaks. The other ones on the on the northeastern side of the lake, and that one is just, you know, it, it's it's you, you can work it. It's it's pretty easy to work to to make arrowheads and spears spearheads, but it's it's more resilient. It just has a tougher consistency, and and that's the one that was really widely traded. So they would take it down to. It looks like a large, thick spearhead or an arrowhead, but it's really large and thick. So they would start it for the person, and that was called a trade blank, and then that's what got traded. A trade blank? Yeah. So like it was like a, uh, an obsidian starter kit? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they'd carry it around and trade? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so it. cool. And then what were some other things that you have found in the Anderson Marsh area? Mm, well, you know, you know, the the, the Thule reed um, is was very valuable to us because that's what we we made a lot of things of. That was the thatching on homes that that made boats, it made clothing, shoes, mats, 
you know, um, you could eat the bulbs. Um, it was one of those multi-purpose plants, and and the largest remaining tule growth is actually in the Anderson Marsh. A lot of the rest has been removed from the other parts of the lake, and it was served as a natural filter as well. And then, because of development, uh, a lot of it has been uh, removed, and and the lake is sick. The lake is sick. You know, all these uh, sulfites from agriculture, grapes mostly, seeping into the lake, and you have all these weird um, blooms that are that are occurring and making people sick. Uh, the toxins can make your dog sick and make your children sick if you want to go play in the water. And there are times that um, that the lake really shouldn't you shouldn't go in it. Um, uh, my friend from the you know, Big Valley Rancheria, her name is Sarah Ryan. She is the EPA person. She's also uh, works as their deputy deputy administrator. Sarah's been working for that tribe for at least fifteen years or more. And um, she is just one of the smartest ladies I know. And she is really takes the time every week. She'll still go around. I think she has 20 locations around the lake where she, she takes the, um, the studies of this toxicity I'm talking about. And, and she makes it known. Um, so uh, I'm really not adept with that. She's the professional there. But these are the things that can happen to our natural world. Um, you know, the, if you want your com- economy to survive, you have to you have to give and take, and, and you want to keep taking and taking. Something's going to suffer, but some folks don't understand that. Well, uh, let me just reintroduce you. This is Pomo Perspective. I am Alicia Bales, and the, our guest is Dino Beltran. He's the vice chairman of the Koi Nation of Northern California, uh, a Pomo tribe from Lake County in the southern uh, Clear Lake Basin, and you are a an award-winning documentary filmmaker and recently you've been using your documentary film your most recent one um saving the sacred to talk with both your lake county board of supervisors and supervisors and state officials across the state in order to try to get sacred sites across California protected. Um, and you've had some great success. And I wonder if we could talk about what are what are the threats to sacred sites in California? Well, the, the major, there are a couple majors. And the, the first one is the development process. You know, uh, sacred, saving the sacred was actually made as a giant public service announcement. That's what it was. We had no idea it was going to be accepted by the National Academy of Sciences for, for the Emmy Awards. Um, it was just a big, giant public service announcement to let other municipalities know, not only in the state of California, but throughout the United States, that they can enter into these agreements with tribes and not have a negative impact on the development itself. And one of the supervisors, Rob Brown, he, he makes that statement. He goes, I would have heard something. I've heard nothing. And to this day, I have heard no tribe say no. I actually I've said no to one development because the procedures of the archaeologists were not were not done at all, and, uh, and this project was almost it was getting started without any of that happening. But um, but that got resolved in like three and three and a half hours. 
So that project was able to move on. No, no project has been stopped, even in the hev- in the heaviest areas of archaeological sensitivity, at least in Lake County. And and uh, and it's, archaeologists believe that Lake County itself was probably the most most valuable, if not um, heavily concentrated, uh, with archaeological sites west of the Mississippi. There's 2,600 sites there that are known. And and most archaeologists are going to tell you we only know five percent of the mm-hmm. site. Wow. Yeah. So that's why they keep stumbling on new stuff. I mean, um, but yeah. So and as far as the public service announcements going, you know, another part of the story also has to do with law enforcement. So um, the first film was made because some landowners encroached on a, uh, a sacred area, and it was on their own land. And they got fined fifty thousand dollars because uh, it was also they were working with uh, the state. The state had had a, a stake in that property, so the state sued the people for encroaching upon their own property. And so that's what actually helped fund that first film. Um, and then it was then after it was shortly thereafter that um, I spoke with Sheriff Martin because our tribal historic preservation officer was marching around the area and he was finding looting going on people in the process of looting wow but that's the second part of it so now you have your development and now you, the other part is 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 the folks who are trying to get these artifacts to <clears throat> to sustain their drug habits and uh, so I, I spoke with sheriff I had attended an archaeological damage an investigations class that was brought by the state parks to Lake County also part of this $50,000 um, that was used to do that. So we attended, and um, it had been a couple of years, so I, had, after finding out the other looting going on, I, I asked for a meeting for the sheriff, the district attorney, uh, the mayor of Clear Lake, uh, the chief of police, and uh, some other tribes. And so we had the meeting, and, and I explained to the sheriff the, the problems, the issues, and and this was an illegal activity, which he was unaware of, and the district attorney was unaware of. <clears throat> so the sheriff at the end of the meeting, and I didn't, oh, I also invited one of the instructors for that first class we had attended to be there to fully explain. Sheriff said, I'll tell you what, I'll pay for half the class if you get the tribes to pay for the other half. So I, I had a participant right away. I didn't expect anything, and I got the best of all worlds. Wow. But we had that class. Two days later, now, yeah, two days later, there was uh, the first archaeological crimes bust because of the class um, by, by a Lake County peace officer. Wow. So, so what is an archaeological crime? An archaeological crime is when you're going on mostly public lands and you are taking something or you are you're taking it for value. It's stealing. It's basically stealing. So um, you can get prosecuted for that, up to $50,000 and an imprisonment. Paying for some more good filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, I, it's I, not I funny. think I've done for films for a while. It's, it's really hard. It's hard work, you know. Well, All the this. films are beautiful. You can tell that a, a ton of work went into them. And you tell, it's like you talked with every, everyone. I mean, Jerry Brown's in this, in this one. Well, and, and for this one, you know, like I said, it was a public service announcement. That was the intent. So I needed to have some heavy hitters. Now, I was the narrator on the first film, but I needed attention on, on, on the subject matter here. 
And when I in the first film, I didn't know anything about narrating, so I actually contacted Peter Coyote out of the blue. I didn't know him, and I just found his, his information on the web. <clears throat> so he met with me, and he gave me some tips and some exercises that he does. And I even used, he was using Command Performance as his studio back in those days. So I went there and recorded there. Um, but I told him, I said, I'm going to make another documentary. I don't have the money yet. I said, but when I do, would you be the narrator? And he goes, sure, but what about that voice of yours? I'm going, right. it's, not about, it's not about me. I said, it's about the subject matter. I need it. Everybody knows you. They don't know me. I said, it's about getting attention on this. So with that, um, I had already had it, you know, uh, working with Jerry Brown and several other things and ran into him down at UC Berkeley while we were doing an Agpa project. He came that day. And um, I asked him if he would come and pray with us at our roundhouse. And, um, and and he came. He brought his wife and Christina Snyder, the executive secretary for for him, for the governor at the time. He selected her. She's still on board with Governor Newsom, by the way. And uh, so they came and they prayed with us. And then I took them over to Anderson Marsh and told them we need help here. And and that was that was a great day. Well, of course, I asked them to be in the film as well. So um, so later that year, uh, we. We went over to film at his office in the governor's, on the governor's office at the Capitol. But you were talking about all the great, you know, the, the cinematography and the quality of the work. That's really done by Dan Bruns, the director. He did the first film, and and I wanted a high quality film with 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 a story, um, and credibility. So that's why I asked Dan to to become on board, and and thankfully, uh, my partners at Upper Lake were were thumbs up with that too. So you partnered with the uh, Habematol and the Robinson Rancheria uh, tribes to to make these documentaries. Actually, uh, the Robinson were they just participate in Ancestors One. They you know we keep each other abreast of what's going on with uh, archaeological stuff. But it was Habematol was our true partner. So the next the last step that I'm, I'm I, our intent was to show this film to all the filmmakers in the state, especially those with the 31 counties that have tribes within them. And then COVID came up as we were making this progress. So um, so that got put on hold. The Emmys last year were canceled. Um, so this film has been accepted two weeks ago by the National Academy of Sciences. It's going to be accepted as uh, potential uh, Emmy material. So we're grateful for that. Again, not, not, not part of what we look forward to, but it happened. And, um, and I've been also having communications with Assemblyman James Ramos, uh, Assemblyman Ramos is the first Native American to hold statewide office here in California. And he's been, he was the chairman for the San Manuel Band of uh, Luiseno. I think they're Luiseno down there. So he's with San Manuel. And so he, he, he won his election a couple of years ago. And, and he's been a blessing. So I called, I talked to him. And uh, his people and I were, were working on trying to push this information and the film itself to all of the, uh, the lawmakers out there. So that's still being worked on. And the film is Saving the Sacred. Um, should we play the trailer? If you'd like, sure. Okay, let's, through the magic of, of technology, let's see if we can listen to the trailer. Here we go. It only takes one. One moment. One person one terrible decision to permanently erase 
14,000 years of culture and history. Pretty impactful. <laughs> Peter did a great job. He, he didn't. He's amazing. He'll do. He'll do his. Um, he'll do his takes. Usually one take, and he'll only do another take if he didn't like his own first take. So when he was doing all of, he does all of. You know, not all. I think he does almost all of Ken Burns' stuff. So, I guess uh, Ken contacted him and wanted him to do the Roosevelts, which he won an Emmy for. He won an Emmy for his work on that project and um so i guess ken says well I'll, I'll pay for you to be out here for 30 days and you can do it he goes i think i'm only gonna need two days and uh, and he ended up doing it in two and a half days instead of 30 yeah real professional he's amazing he's amazing you know just to stand there and watch him just 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 go through it and then you know emphasis here take it a little bit off here uh you know I don't know. He's a pro. He's a he's amazing. Learned a lot from him. Our guest is Dino Beltran. He's the vice chairman of the Koi Nation of Northern California. The documentary is Saving the Sacred. Um, this is Alicia Bales, and I am sitting in uh, for Michael Hunter here with Pomo Perspective. And we're just so I'm so pleased to to have you here. You know, um, one of the things about wa- watching the documentaries, uh, well. I mean, it was a beautiful day yesterday, and I had the day off, so I went out to Anderson Marsh and um, walked around and just having the just the 30-minute documentary information about the history of this land and, and the land's people. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time in Lake County, but it was quite an experience to go to Anderson Marsh knowing that there's, what, 21,000 years of history at least 17,000 unbroken uh culture that that occupied the place without ever leaving this 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 is a culture that uh was continuous for 17,000 years and all of that history is in the ground there and not just in the ground but it's in the plants it's in the trees it's in the water um and it's in the mountains and and so just having the opportunity to walk in that place i mean one of the things that was most impactful of course is these oak trees i mean they are i've never seen an oak tree as big as the one by the the farmhouse i mean i I just my jaw was i just couldn't believe this tree but i'm I'm a tree person anyway but you know it was like wow there are some larger there are some larger really yeah i mean uh, it was like i I think it's really neat when 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 you think about you know one of the the archaeologists pointed out to us one of the rangers actually one of the rangers who used to work there is a friend of ours his name is tom nixon and he said can you imagine how many generations have lived under this tree for you know it's about a 600 year old tree and you're going that's that's a lot of folks yeah. yeah, right. And all that history, it just, it, it was there through all of that history before mm-hmm. any of the buildings or the highway that goes right by or the bridges or any of that stuff that tr- those trees were there. But also in the trail, um, I noticed that there are parts of the trail where, um, you can see that the soil has that quality of, um, 
like midden, you know, this, this sort of midden soil. It's sort of powdery and dark. And, and then there are places in the trail that are sparkly with obsidian, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, um, I mean, going there already knowing how rich the archaeological history is there was, was quite powerful. But then to just, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not subtle. It's, it's, the land is, is really clearly a place where people have been living for a long time. So, but that wasn't necessarily, um, there was no guarantee that Anderson Marsh would, would have been protected and, and not developed. That's a whole story in itself. Why the place is even there for people. Uh, it's a historical park. Um, and there's a, you know, the ranch house and things are there, but really the history is in the land itself. And, and can you talk a bit about why Anderson Marsh is even protected? Well, yeah, that, that is, that is the product of effort by, by a gentleman named John Parker. So John has lived on and off, but mostly on uh, about 45 years in the in the lake on Lake in Lake County. His parents live right across the creek from um, his mom still lives there right across the creek from Anderson Marsh. So he has had literal firsthand knowledge of what goes on. So he his brainchild was to go ahead and make it a state park. So. Years of effort, he, everything lined up for him, and he was able to make that the state park that it is. Also, too, the surrounding area. So he has made the surrounding area, the, the Anderson Marsh Archaeological District. Uh, it's on the National Register. So he saw the value of protecting the sites way back in the day. When he was, when he was doing that, I was like 14 years old. And, um, and, and thank God that John's still with us. I, that man... I love that guy. In fact, we love him so much, we made him an honorary member of the tribe. Yeah, that's how we think of John. So he's, he's truly a brother. And uh, just a wealth of information and just a, a, a so valuable with that. But he's really just a valuable human being, really. He's a beautiful guy. So so that's why. So, but we also feel the, the, the necessary aspects of protecting the, the park so we are the first tribe in state history to have a memorandum agreement with state parks to protect a park for its archaeological values. And that park was actually the first one. I think I was still maybe the only one that is that it was brought on for its archaeological values. So I was able to get some grants. Uh, we put a little Connex box out there. We have a UTV out there. Um, I have two full-time people that patrol the park. Because the state just doesn't do it. Now they have they lately have bulked up with their personnel, but they're not out on the trails every day, and that's what we do. So we monitor the sites, we monitor the trails, uh, we watch people. Um, I, I I pulled up just to use the restroom a couple of weeks ago, and there's some guys taking shovels out of the back of their truck and they're heading down the yeah. So. We're really not supposed to encounter these people, but I said, "Hey, <laughs> where are you going?" <laughs> and the, well, we're digging worms. Get out of here! Just get. You know, I said, Just get. "It's illegal to take anything. I can't even take a feather from there. It's illegal. It's in the bird flyway, the migration flyway." So I'm like, "You want trouble? Bring your shovel back." But I have two people here six days a week, and we have coverage at all hours of the day. Not all hours, most of the day. I mean, it's easier to find them with the flashlights on. But um, 
Yeah, they're but yeah, the, the, and and the, and then what we learn from the archaeological damage and investigation class is they actually have a little weird name for these people who they call them twiggers, tweakers that dig, and they actually that's what they do. They and they and they take their their spoils to pawn shops, and you can go to some of the pawn shops in the area and you can see in their little display cases certain things that don't belong there. But, you know, again, just a total disregard. Well, they're disregarding their lives. They're abusing drugs. So why are they going to think about um, something valuable from the past? Wow. And so you are having to monitor the park and protect it at all hours. It just seems like, you know, we, we have there's stories in the past of like grave diggers or looters. But this is something that's happening currently right now. It still happens. It happens throughout the county. And before it happens, you, it happens everywhere, there are Native American sites. And before you had this MOA, this memorandum of agreement with Lake County, was were these crimes not being prosecuted? Well, the crime aspect is not covered in the MOA; just the development part of it. Oh, got it. Um, no, there was no prosecution. There was no arrest for these things prior to to me bringing it to the attention of, of law enforcement. And it, and it may not have happened if it wasn't for a willing sheriff. You know, Sheriff Martin and I, we've become friends. You know, until COVID, we were having lunch every month, just catching up. And and thankfully, though, we were able to get out a couple of weeks back and, you know, wouldn't shoot. Respect. I mean, there's another good man right there. He's a good man. So I... And 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 I and I and I'm just so glad that he takes what we we're doing as valuable, you know, as, as as truly having something to 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 bust. I've got there's this meeting in the city of Clear Lake that happens I think every third Thursday, and I I don't know if COVID's uh, stopped that, but uh, they call it the judges meeting, and he was one of their guest speakers, one of the city planners of the city of Clear Lake, uh, not a city planner, but a um a planning commissioner. He had, um, he said, Sheriff was our, our guest. And this is about three years ago or so. He goes, Sheriff was our guest, and, and, and he has this analogy. And I, and, and I asked Sheriff if he would explain that in the film. And he's a veteran. You know, he's a, I think he was a Marine. Um, his son's in the service now. I mean, these people, they're, they're Americans. They're, they're, they're patriot folks. And, um, you know, his, his wife works for the, for the county. Uh, he is the sheriff who he also worked for the county before that. His dad was a judge. I mean, these are people of service. I respect respect him greatly. But his analogy is he goes, he goes, I put this and he doesn't like stealing. He's like me. I cannot stand people that steal. There's there's something wrong with you if you have to steal. And he says to me, it's just like if somebody went to Arlington National Cemetery and dug up all of the medals and awards to our our patriots, he goes. That's he goes. That's what I. That's how I feel. The Native Americans feel, and that's true. It's a, really that's the greatest analogy right there. That brings the context for folks that don't understand. And seems like with the like circling back around to what you were talking about about being called a whiner and somebody who should just let the past go or whatever, move on from the genocide. Um, it's it's not even just that these uh, that your ancestors were, you know, making the analogy to to Arlington. Um, they were 
massacred, right? They Their stories were completely silenced by this mass genocide that happened. And so it's not even just that... Um, that you revere them and that that they that they're sacred it's that 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 your whole story lives uh, you know there's so much that you still need to learn about your past because of the invaders and the genocide that happened um that cut you off from those stories am i am i anywhere close well you know um to a point yeah to a point you know i think I think actually, instead of going backward at this at this point, we have an idea of that aspect of our people. Uh, we do have people like Bob Geary that continue on with our culture, and many others around the lake that still have our roundhouses, and they're doing this old school way. But the thing that has happened from the time um, the white folks have gotten here, coming this way is the intergenerational trauma. So now you have drugs and alcoholism that weren't here before the white guy got here. You, you didn't have them. All of our old interviews, do not you do not hear stories of sexual assault or rape. You don't hear stories of uh, being disrespectful to women. You don't hear any of these things. Missing and murdered indigenous women. None of these things, these are, these are, these are more contemporary, modern problems that have become because of the trauma that was taken on by my great-grandfather and his father, where they had no longer the ability to take care of their families in a traditional way. They, they, were, they got chased off the properties. They went hunting for deer. Um, their, their families would starve. Um, what does that do to a man's psyche? What does that do to a man? All right. What happens if he actually decides to break down and start abusing alcohol and then later drugs? What happens? So now we have this problem. This is this is this is this is this is the people. Well, they can they can quit that. They can quit doing that. The the problem is so intergenerationally involved in the community. It's gonna it's a hard one to crack, but it's being cracked. And there are leaders. Some are spiritual. Some are traditional. And some are just taking it upon themselves to learn. And it's just everyday people as well. It's just not leaders per se, but people that are getting involved with learning a better way, learning a way of healing, learning a way of wellness that is that is gradually taking the bite out of alcoholism, drug addiction, pedophilia, all these other weird contemporary problems. Um, and, and, and another problem is, the to, um, to me personally, I think the, the worst problem we have is, is one that's invisible and not tangible, and it's codependency. All right, all of these other problems world around because of the codependency and um i i work with some people in wellness and they think that's they think that's where we're going to take this this wellness thing next because we're because we know about drugs and alcohol we know how to handle drugs and alcohol and yes there are ways to handle the codependency too with those kind of 12-step programs but i think the next generation or the next wave of wellness is going to start addressing codependency and it really should be because we need to we need to work on that and then you know Besides the drugs and the alcohol, that's just one issue. But what about the cause of those things? What is the trauma that has started that? Why, why do you keep going back to it? It's because you're hurting. It's because you're hurting. And hurt people hurt other people. So let's address those traumas. And then, you know, you, you, you can't go about sharing um, 
or believe you have experience in healing and wellness if you haven't been working on your own healing and wellness path itself. Because these are these are modern day problems. These are contemporary problems. All right, working and having that belief in our creator is the number one thing is why we're able to be here today. Creator has given us the ability to also have our own brains. And we can go into the roundhouse and the sweat lodges as much as we like, but we're only stuck on our limited self. Um, it's okay to reach out to these other modern ways. I believe it's okay to reach out to these other modern ways of getting assistance with trauma treatment uh, besides drug and alcohol. Trauma treatment is a big deal. And otherwise, you're kind of stuck in the same spot. You're in your own bubble. Does your work with sacred sites connect in, do you think, with what you're talking about with healing and, and generational trauma? Well, we're, we're really strict. Our coination, we're pretty strict. If people um, are drinking or doing drugs, they're not allowed in our crew. They're just not allowed. If somebody shows up and looks like they're suffering from a hangover, they're sent home. In fact, well, because of all the fires, too, we don't even allow people smoke on the job. And if they think we're infringing upon their rights, that's fine. You take your rights somewhere else because we're here for the ancestors' rights. They don't have the ability to talk. They don't have the ability to smoke. So why don't you, uh, it's okay. It's okay. We'll find somebody. We'll find somebody that wants to be 100% respectful because of your spirit and your heart and your respect for the ancestors. Well, we're coming to the end of the show. Our guest is Dino Beltran. He's the vice chairman of the Koi Nation of Northern California, also an Emmy award-winning documentary filmmaker. Um, Dino, thank you so much for being here. It's just been an amazing um, privilege to have an hour with you this morning on Pomo Perspective. And thanks to Michael Hunter for reaching out and inviting you. Um, just in the last minute or two, do you want to uh, wrap up, let people know how they can see the films and, and anything else that you want listeners to, to know? Uh, the first film is available just by Googling PBS, A Walk Through Time. Um, the other film, I don't know how accessible it is right now, um, but uh, we, we do have, if you want to contact um, me, we do have films available uh, for, for donation, every cent, every single cent of the donation goes towards uh, our cultural resource monitors who patrol the park. So um, they have families, and we would like to keep them out there as long as we can. So that's another way to do it. Um, uh, I have to still work with uh, with Chairman Jerry Trepa, Chairperson Trepa, to figure out how we're going to do a more widespread um, release. It's been uh, difficult with COVID. Um, and then that has attributed all kinds of other problems unforeseen. So, and how can people get in touch with you? Um, the, the, my my phone number, I guess, would be best. It would be seven zero seven three three one. Nine seven eight eight, and then we'll, we'll get those mailed out to you. Seven zero seven three three one nine seven eight eight to get a copy of Saving the Sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people want to visit the Anderson Marsh State Historic Park, how can they do that? Just head on over. You know, just head on over. Um, you know, there, there's a parking fee. Um, just head on over, pay, pay your fee, and just go for a walk. And um, I mean, it, it's pretty out there. Oh, it's uh, so pretty. You know, it's really dry. I was surprised. Yeah, it's that time of year. It's that time of year. And, you know, 
understand in certain parts of the state right now there are some fire warnings, especially in Southern California. But um, but yeah, and then I'll meet you out there, and I'll I'll show you what you're looking at. And you'll know exactly what's going on. Right. All I saw was just gorgeousness. <laughs> but but there's a lot more than just the beauty out there and um yeah it's it's remarkable i mean i would just want to thank you too for giving me um uh, the opportunity to know the place where i live in a different way because these stories this is the the true the, these are the true stories of this land you know we've this culture that i'm from has been here what 150 175 years uh but but the true culture has been here for what did you say 21,000 we think so yeah so more, that's just, that's the oldest artifact that we can find wow it just yeah. gives you a whole different sense of of place so thank you for your work doing doing that sure. governor brown says something real, real quick in that in that film he says you know instead of going ahead and relying on our on our civilization we have now which probably has a shelf life maybe we should look to the civilization civilization that's lasted 10 or twenty thousand years as as our understanding of how to live on this land for sure well thank you dino for all your amazing work um making sure that, that that information and those stories are both preserved and also uh, told. It's great to get to know you. It's great to talk with you. And we're going to finish up. This has been Pomo Perspective. I'm Alicia Bales. Pomo Perspective will be back in four weeks, uh, and I'm, I'm sure Michael will be back. Uh, and we're going to make way now for Music Without Borders with Joel Cohen. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a wonderful Martin Luther King Day. And bye, Dino. I know.